We are going through the Psalms, and we're nearing the end of our time going through the Psalms. At the end of the year, we will have spent a year and a quarter in going through the Psalms. We obviously have not gotten to all of them, but we're in the 130s, and they end at 150, and we're choosing Psalms between now and the end of the year. Today, we're on Psalm 139, an absolutely beautiful Psalm. Uh, a psalm that tells us much about God and our relationship with God, his relationship with us. The Bible tells us categories of two primary, two primary categories, what we are to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. This psalm really emphasizes some important truths about who God is specifically in relationship to us, our hearts, our lives, our very beings. Psalm 139. Let's stand, and I'll read Psalm 139. I'll be using the New American Standard Bible. This is God's Word, His holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible Word, translated into English as a language we can understand, our heart language here. We pray uh, that the Lord would bless this reading of his word to our understanding and to our growth and grace in him. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar, you scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea... Even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book, were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. 
How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So far, God's word. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open this passage to us. You have seen fit to have it written down. To ins- you, have, you have inspired it. You have breathed it out. You have it included and. In- in the Word of God, and you've kept it pure and entire throughout all the ages, so we could not only read it, but so that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our lives. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A fearful and wonderful life, Psalm 139. Psalm 139 presents us forcefully and repeatedly and beautifully with a deep, possibly surprising, but memorable truths about Jehovah God and his very personal relationship with you today. Believers often explain how Christianity differs from all man-made religions by saying how we didn't make it up. It didn't come from our traditions. It didn't come out of our imagination or trying to explain the world. And that the Jewish people didn't make it up, but that it was revealed completely by God to man. So we often say that Christianity is not a religion, but is a relationship. Psalm 139 takes the idea of an intensive and personal relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and you to possibly a level you haven't realized yet or expected to find in the Bible. So as we look at Psalm 139, just soak in these strong, possibly surprising truths and let it expand your appreciation of Jehovah God. Let it cause you to praise and thank Him as you give those thanksgiving offerings before Him. And let it, like the the numbers of the psalm that go from 1 to 3 to 9, let it it expand your, your praise to recognize who God is and His omniscience, His omnipresence, and His implied omnipotence, three big words, but it's all about how great he is, but it comes 
focusing in on your life and your heart. So it's like the numbers, you know, 139. It's like, you can use Psalm 139 to grow in your praise and thanksgiving of God. The title says that this is for the choir director, and it's a psalm uh, or a melody of David. It sure sounds like David to me. You may read in notes, you may read in commentaries uh, that it's not of David, and it could not be of David. I'd like to read one little statement that Mr. Spurgeon, uh, as he was dealing with these critics, um, we, we, deal, we study the Bible and we use something called lower criticism, meaning we compare Scripture with Scripture. We study the words. We, we work on the, the grammar and the relationships. We, that's, that's called lower criticism. Uh, higher criticism is a matter of judging the Bible and saying where it's wrong and where, uh, where it has mistakes. And, all, and so you want to stay away from higher criticism. Um, Spurgeon was dealing with some of these folks that he calls the critics back when he was writing in the late 1800s. Uh, you probably, this is what he, what he says. Uh, you probably know that critics have wasted much ink in trying to discredit anything they can in the Bible in order to dismember its authority in their lives and in ours. We do not take a stand that the title or note... Um, uh, a melody or a psalm of David, but it certainly fits with the psalms with, of what Second Samuel calls the sweet psalmist of Israel. Spurgeon says this, We believe that upon the principles of criticism now in vogue in the 1800s, it would be extremely easy to prove that Milton did not write Par- Paradise Lost. That's what he thinks about the, the critics. But at any rate... Whether David wrote it or not, we do know that the Holy Spirit inspired these words written by David or not. So let's dig into these profound and glorious truths about you and about God. What are some of the things we learn? Right at the beginning, we learn God knows you. Look at verses 1 through 3. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. I mean, the most mundane things we do. God knows that you're sitting. God knows that I'm standing. God knows when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand not just my bodily position. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize. That's, that's quite, a, quite a word there. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. And I love the next phrase. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Now the NASB folks uh, take the word that, that the ESV would call, they would just say acquainted. The King James says acquainted. NIV says you're familiar. But it's more like the the French, um, Louis Sagan, that translated the French for evangelicals, to penetre. You, you penetrate. <laughs> you penetrate all my ways. And so the NASB fellows just translated the verb as you're intimately acquainted with all my ways. 
the Lord knows me. The Lord knows you. One thing to learn about the Lord is that he knows you inside and out. Verses 4 through 6. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You can think about that for a while. Before you speak it, when it's, when it's still in your mind, when it's coming out of your heart, as Jesus says, before you get it out, he already knows it. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. You know, I, I'm, I'm within your power. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. So, with this, we get that first really big word, omniscient. Omni means all, and the science part of the word means knowledge. So, he knows everything. He is omniscient. You don't, you don't have to know that word to praise him that he knows everything, that he knows you. But it's a helpful word. He's omniscient. More importantly, God is an expert on you. You may be an expert on certain things, maybe one thing, maybe two things. Maybe you're an expert on hunting deer. You, maybe you're an expert on making uh, sugar cookies. Maybe you're an expert on sleeping all Thanksgiving afternoon. Maybe you've got the details of certain sports teams. Maybe you're an expert on certain things. God is an expert. He knows all there is to know about you. He knows much more about you than you know about yourself. That's what we learn at first. God knows you. It's a fearful and wonderful experience for you to live your life when God knows everything about you, even your speech before you can say it. So the first thing is that God, that we learn, is that God knows you. Secondly, we learn from this passage that God is everywhere. Look at verses 7 through 12. It's asking the question, you know, thinking about, if you want to get away from God, where would you go? Where would you hide? What, what would you do if that was your goal to get somewhere where God is not? Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be dark, will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So we get our second big word, omnipresent. If you got the omni word, you know, a school bus is a bus, uh, City buses are buses, but the word bus is a short form of an original name. It was, a bus was meant to carry anything and everything. So it was an omnibus. And now we've dropped the omni part. But so it's all. If you got the all part, then omnipresent is real easy. 
Omniscient is a little bit harder, but omnipresent, you've got it. God is omnipresent, but more importantly, according to Psalm 139, God is always present with you. Jesus said, I'm going to be your Emmanuel, God with you. That was said about Jesus, God with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So wherever you are, wherever you go, he is there. Now you may remember the hound of heaven. Um, over the years, I brought it up from time to time as a poem by Francis Thompson. And if you haven't, it's a long poem. I'm not going to go very far into it today. But it starts out this way. I fled him, capital H. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the way of the years. I fled him down labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And under running laughter, up vistaed hopes I sped and shot precipitated down titanic glooms of chasmed fears from those strong feet capital F, feet, from those strong feet, this is the hound of heaven, from those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice, capital V, a voice beat more instant than the feet, all things betray thee who betrayest me. In other words, you want to get away from God, the darkness is not going to help you. <laughs> it's going to betray you to me. You're going to hide in the closet, <laughs> the closet is not going to help you. You're going to go to the remotest part of the earth. You're going to get in a rocket and go somewhere where they send you. You can't get away. All those things will betray you if you're betraying me, God says. He is the hound of heaven. So you want to get away? It would not be smart. <laughs> And it is impossible. Do you want to, wait, want to run away from your home? Do you want to run away from your marriage? Do you want to run away from your responsibilities? Want to go to Mexico? Want to go to Hawaii? To Lowry's? To the mountains? To Vegas? When you get there, you know who's going to be there to greet you. To question you, as he does, according to Psalm 139. To examine you minutely when you show up in Vegas. When you get to a hideaway in the mountains. When you get to Colorado. To see if there's any evil or wicked way in you. God says in Genesis 3, where are you? And Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, capital Y, you. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Hide yourself in the garden of Eden? Are you kidding? God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? He not only meets with you, he not only shows up with where you've run, but he begins, he begins to talk to you. He begins to ask you questions. How'd you get here? What about this sin? What about your running away from me? When you try to run away, 
who will be standing there when you come to baggage claim and to ask you your questions? Who will already be sitting at the bar stool next to the one where you will choose when you get there? Even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Even the darkness is not dark to you. How long has God known you intimately? God was with you in the womb. Children, if you have the coloring in page, the shading in page there from Mr. Adron Dozat, uh, even if you can't read it, I hope you will ask somebody else to read it to you. If you can read it, then read it. It's talking about you when you were a tiny baby in your mother's womb. And when you were there, even there, Jesus was with you. Jesus was taking care of you there. And the words in in that coloring page come from Psalm 139. Verses 13 through 15. It comes from verse 14. For you formed me in my inward parts. You formed my inward parts. You wove me like a tapestry. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. You, you began your fearful and wonderful life <laughs> in the hands of the Savior before your parents or grandparents or brothers and sisters possibly older than you could ever meet you. Wonderful are your works, and my, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. So God is God. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He is omnipresent. He has known you from the womb. And he is with you not only every day of your life, but he planned out today and each day before your conception, before that first day in the womb. God was with you in your mother's womb, but God did not start working on your story then when you were a tiny baby before you were born. No, he planned out all your days, every one of them, before you ever became a baby in the womb. Just listen to verse 16. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. I hope you all know Psalm 139. If you don't know Psalm 139, pick out these, these, these are gems. These are beautiful gems. God is sovereign. God is ruler and king over all. So although it's not stated quite as clearly as his being omniscient, knowing everything, and being omnipresent, being everywhere present, it implies that he is also all-powerful. More importantly, he's king over your life. All the might and glory of God Almighty is 
is king over your life today and tomorrow and all the tomorrows you have here on earth and eternity with him if you're indeed in Christ. He planned it all out ahead of time from eternity past. This implies that he is omnipotent, omnipotent or all-powerful. This is, this is part of what God is saying when he says, I am, or I am that I am. Jehovah, God. God knows you. God is everywhere. He was with you in the womb. He has planned each of your days in eternity past, and he is always thinking about you. With all this power, with all this knowledge, with his being everywhere, do you think he would take time to concentrate on little old you? Verses 17 and 18 are just as remarkable as these other verses. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, if I should count, if I should count the thoughts that God has towards me, the thoughts God has toward you, if we were to try to add them up, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. When Pastor Dave asks you to guess how many gummy worms there are in a glass jar, as in the diet of worms challenge at the Reformation Party, you, you would be able to count them if you were allowed to do so. Of course, if you were allowed to do so, then he'd have to give them to you because you'd had your hands on all of them. But if your mom brought back a jar of sand from the beach, as, as we brought back a jar of sand from a particular beach that, that Ruth remembered from her childhood, so we brought it back several years ago, if I gave you that jar of sand, you would have a pretty hard time counting the grains of sand in that one quart jar. Could you count all the grains of sand at Myrtle Beach? Or Garden City? Or Oak Island? Or Sunset? What about adding up all the beaches on the Atlantic and Gulf of Mexico and the Pacific? And that hadn't gotten around the world yet. Whatever that number might be, God thinks more thoughts about you than that. What, what an amazing statement. What an amazing focus. He focuses on you because he loves you. And he loves your life that you live before him that much. So here are the facts about you and about God involved in the most minute details of you. God knows you. God is everywhere. God was with you in the womb. God has planned each of your days in eternity past. God is always thinking about you. So you see that God loves you. And all this draws you to love him. Some people do not love God. Some people hate God. The world has the wicked in it as well as the righteous. So as we look at all this emphasis on God's direct involvement in your life, I have to ask you, are you on God's side? Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh God? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. 
There are people who do not like what Psalm 139 says. There are people who would cover their ears with their hands and run away from these gracious words saying, Don't say that! Why? Because they don't love the words of God and they don't love God. See what these verses say. They are wicked, that is evil or bad. They want to shed blood. They want to kill and harm and destroy lives. They're men of bloodshed. They're enemies of God. They're enemies of the everywhere present, all-knowing, all-powerful creator and sustainer of all the universe. That is not wise, but they are not wise. They hate God, Psalm 139 says. They rise up against God, Psalm 139 says. Oh, children, do not be like that. Oh, big brothers and sisters, do not be like that. Can't you see where that will end? Oh, adults and older adults, do not be like that. I beg you, sitting here in your body but running away from God in your heart, do you live for Him or do you run away from Him? Do you love Him best or do you love you best? Do you think that the critter knows best? Are you committed to carrying out your own plan for your life, no matter what? Do you like worshiping yourself? Do you think you need very little help, that, that you only need a little religion that's only window dressing or a little icing on the cake? If the cake is rotten and squirming with worms and all kinds of filth, what good is a, is a certain amount of pretty icing? So I have to ask you, have you invited him into your heart? The psalm ends with a statement of the Lord's presence. It begins with that, but it ends with an invitation, as Christine sang, for him to be present in your life. Psalm 139 is all about the presence of the Lord in your life, in all the nooks and crannies of your life. But the final verses are laid out for you to open your own heart, if you've never done that before. Of course, you need to do it every day and joyfully cry out, come in, come in. We often sing with our grandchildren on Zoom when we have the flannel graph Bible stories. And I sometimes have sung it with the Young Disciples Club. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Listen to the six direct requests you can make of the Lord at the end of this psalm. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me or hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. He's the only one who can lead you in the everlasting way. He does know you. He knows you well, more thoroughly than you can imagine. He wants you to want him to know you. It's a fearful and joyful prospect. It's a foolish idea to think that you can keep him out. Ignoring him will not make him go away and forget that you exist. Remember, he feeds you. He clothes you. He makes your diaphragm work so you can breathe. He's always providing for, for you. Forget you? How can he forget you? Leave you? 
Cry out to the Lord to come in power and change you. Yes, change you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Spurgeon says when he looks at, at David doing this, inviting God in, he says God is, he says that David is braver than any of the bravest men you've ever heard about in history. It may be brave to go into a battle uh, and to seek to defeat the enemy, but this is inviting God in to find problems in your life and change you to be more like Jesus. He said that is really, really brave. It's calling upon the, your Creator to say, search me, try me, know me, examine me, lead me. Why, it's a cure for anxiety. It's a solution to aimlessness. You have your answer to purpose and security and encouragement and an almighty heavenly guide in the Holy Spirit to correct you, to keep it between the ditches and guard you from jumping off bridges and giving up and burning out and fretting your life away. Say in your heart, even as, and as I say these words of God out loud, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. It might have been interesting uh, to have a guardian angel in It's a Wonderful Life, uh, Mr. Oddbody, uh, to be there, and it might be a little bit spooky. Um, but what we have, there's no comparison. We have God with us here, there, and everywhere all the time by his power and in his love. G. Campbell Morgan says, distance is, is only a human term. And we've long known that time is all tied to creation. It, it doesn't bind the creator at all. Well, finally today, it, or this week, it caught up with me to realize those old, old word problems where you have rate equals distance over time or speed equals you know miles over hours mp miles per hour that if uh, if you don't have any change in distance if god is everywhere all the time and you don't have any any change in time because he's above time he's in all places at all times then there then there is no rate for God either. R equals D over T. He doesn't change. And so I began to realize that rate and distance and time are all part of his saying, I am Jehovah God. I am that I am. And the great I am is intimately acquainted and involved in all our ways. What a fearful and wonderful life we have to live here on earth with the truths of Psalm 139 in our hearts. Let's pray.